You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you have a Bible, if you'd like to open up to Ephesians chapter 4, look at verses 11 to 16. If anyone does not have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands here this morning. If anyone needs a Bible, just put your hand up. We have people who can come. Okay, I'm not seeing any hands. Oh, I'm blind. Um, all right, if you guys want to turn to Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, we'll be looking at in just a moment. Again, we're going on in our series, Six Distinctives Identity Shaping. Again, just like, who are we? What are we about? What direction are we going? Uh, we talked already, we want to be a church that's about fervent prayer. Again, this is like, this is one, who, who we are, but who we want to be. And, and all these things, it's not saying, hey, we've arrived. This is where we want to keep going and, and getting to. We want to be about fervent prayer. We want to be about bold preaching by God's grace. I appreciate your, your prayers every time I open up this book. By God's grace, we want to be about bold preaching. We want to be about passionate worship. And continue to grow as worshipers in spirit and truth. Uh, today we're going to be talking about purposeful discipleship. Uh, next week we'll be looking at courageous evangelism. And then the last week, strategic church planting. And that's kind of like, who are we as a church? Who are we seeking uh, to become? Uh, those six distinctives would help define that. And define the direction that we hope to be moving in and growing in. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about purposeful discipleship. And you think, well, why is that important? Well, you have, again, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. I'm just going to read it for us quickly. Matthew 28, Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave the, the commission, the great commission. There's not another one given. This is what we are to be about as a church, is making disciples. It's through sharing the gospel, someone believing in Jesus. That's how they become a disciple. We'll talk more about that next week. But then as they are a disciple, they are to grow as a disciple. The church, main mission is to be about making disciples. That, like, that's it. Everything else needs to flow out of that mission. And just think about this, like how are we doing? Like as a church generally, I'm thinking North America right now. How is the church doing? The stats say the church has missed the mark. Just as a few stats, there's many out there, but there's a 2020 uh, research done by Barna. That's what they specialize in, in research. Uh, they said this, of their um, survey in 2020 that there's 40% in the church are not engaged in making disciples. That's almost half. Almost half of people in the church who say they are disciples are not making disciples. 25% said they haven't even been told about discipling others and 22% haven't even thought about it. You know, like, like that's kind of crazy if the main mission of the church is to be about making disciples and almost half are not doing it. In, in North America, that's actually, it's an American stat. I imagine we're similar, if not higher numbers here in Canada. The North American church has often been accused of being a mile wide and an inch deep. Like, we just, I don't think we understand the time that we live in. If we would look at the standards called to within Scripture and we look at churches abroad, we're like, Matt, we're, oh, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And so, with our church, it's not saying, hey, we've figured it out, but just saying, how are we seeking to make disciples? How are we seeking to walk in that? God, have mercy on us. Give us much grace that we can do that. And not saying we're doing it perfectly, but this is where we're aiming towards. This is where we want to get to. We want to do it, purposeful discipleship, intentional and in community. Just, those, just think about those two words. Intentional, it won't happen by accident. You won't accidentally grow into a stronger, more mature disciple like you, won't, like you won't accidentally plant a garden. You know, you're like, you look out in August, you're like, wow, there's a garden backyard and there's rows made. And think, no, like that would never happen. We won't accidentally grow as disciples. So we want to be intentional. 
individually and as a church about making disciples. And we want to do it in community. It must be done together. Right? That, that's, that's what it talks about so much in the New Testament about the importance of a local church community. Growing together. Doing the one another's with each other. So we want to be intentional and in community. And I, I hope that this message here this morning can kind of help shape a little bit more of how we're seeking to do that uh, as well as be faithful to the text in front of us. So if you want to stand with me, we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 11 uh, to 16 here this morning. Thinking of purposeful discipleship. And he, that be God, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. So just before continuing on, Again, I'd just like to ask uh, for God's grace and go to him in prayer, if you want to bow with me. Oh, Lord, we see uh, the clear calling to make disciples. I pray we would see it in this text this morning. I pray we would just get a greater a vision of what that is. I pray you would call each of our hearts uh, to maturity in Christ. I, I pray, Lord, that those who are here who do not know you, you'd give them ears to hear, eyes to see. Call them to faith in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I ask for your help to, uh, to preach this word. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak through me. I pray you'd use it to transform our hearts and our lives. Oh Lord, I, I need to hear this word. I, I pray you do this work in me. Grow us all to be mature in Christ. As only you can, Lord. I pray even as I preach this word, you would expose different things in each one of our lives that are holding us back to maturity. Lord, if there are many here or some who maybe are immature in their faith. I pray this would help spur them on to take greater steps towards maturity in you. So Lord, only you can do this. So we pray you would use your word to build your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So looking at Ephesians verse 11 here in just a second, thinking about the leaders, thinking about purposeful discipleship. We were in Ephesians a few weeks ago talking about uh, fervent prayer. Again, this, this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he was actually in jail and wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, the first half, the first three chapters are, are more like um, theology or doctrine. Like if this is true about you, and then the verses, or chapters 4 to 6, then do this. And so Paul has just covered in the first three chapters this, these great uh, truths about uh, who believers are in Jesus Christ. And then now he's moving into more application in, in chapters 4 to 6. And so I want us to look at this text and again think through um, purposeful discipleship. But first the focus in verse 11 is on the leaders. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles... The prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers that God gave this, this gift. There's five kind of groups listed there. Three are outside of the local church. The first three, two are within the local church. And of this list, the first two groups, I would argue, were active at the founding of the church and no longer are. And just very quickly, I want to bring this to your attention. So the first group, the apostles. An apostle, as the New Testament defines it, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 1, Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? The prerequisite to be an apostle uh, was to have been with Jesus, to have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or the resurrected Jesus. It was those who lived during that time. 
And Paul was the one, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.8, he was one who was untimely born. Everyone else had lived with Jesus, had, had seen his ministry, had seen him in the grave, rose again. Apostles, Paul's the unique one. He had a vision of Jesus. He still is alive. They were the apostles. I don't see people meeting that prerequisite today, having lived during the time of Jesus, witnessing the resurrected Christ. So I think that was for building of the church. I'd say it's the same as true of prophets, as in people who spoke authoritatively the word of God, who would say, thus says the Lord. And it would be authoritatively for every single person they would have to follow. That would be the prophet. Ephesians 2.20, Paul has already said in this letter, talking about those who are of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. They helped lay the foundation of the church and then they have built upon it. Just saying this about the term apostles and prophets, some even today though may operate in some similar roles. I mean in a sense of casting vision, giving leadership over many churches some people speak particularly with a prophetic voice to our times, knowing what is happening, studying the scriptures. But I don't think the specific roles that Paul is talking about in the text of apostleship, prophet, are existent today. I think they built the foundation of the church. But just that's not where I want to start. I just want to let that be known. And then the next group the evangelist, again, kind of outside the local church structure, simply one who is going around uh, preaching the good news of salvation through of Jesus Christ. The, so, but still, the evangelist is not necessarily present within the local church, more going around spreading the gospel. Of course, we still see that gift uh, present today. But the other two are focused within the local church. You see here, the, the shepherds and teachers or the shepherd teachers, actually the two terms are linked together uh, within the original language. So it could be the shepherd teachers or the pastor teachers. Um, one commentator, Francis Folk, says this, pastors and teachers were gifted to be responsible for the day-to-day -day building up of the church. That's why they're linked together. Teaching is an essential part of the pastoral ministry. It is appropriate, therefore, that the two terms, pastors and teachers, should be joined together to denote one order of ministry. We look before about the calling of an elder, 1 Timothy 3, 2, they are able to teach. In Titus uh, 1, 9, Titus wrote this. I'll just read it for you. Speaking of an elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. So they're the pastor teachers. So we see the leaders that are called now to be a gift to the church. And what are they called to do? They're called to teach, teach the word of God like broadly, but specifically in this passage, look what the pastor teachers are called to do in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the, the leader's role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's not the leader's role to do all the ministry, but simply to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Equip the saints. And let me just define that term. What does saints mean? Paul describes saints in 1 Corinthians 1-2 as this. He says this at the beginning of that letter, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, those made holy, called to be saints, together with all those within every place call upon, who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Saints are the ones who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, he's like, wherever that has happened, those are saints. People who, who see, like, I have no hope within myself to be made right with a holy God. It's only through trusting in Jesus Christ. Not what I've done in the past, not what I'll do in the future, but because I'm trusting in Jesus, I've, re I've repented of my sins, I put my faith in him. Everyone who, who has done that, called upon the name of the Lord, can be called a saint. And we should be, uh, as good Protestants, be like, I don't know about that term, saint. 
But what it means to be a saint, it means it's not that we are righteous, not that we are perfect, but saint means that we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering over us. That's like Jesus Christ's perfect life, never sinned, nailed to the cross for our sin. And as we put our faith and trust in him, we receive his righteousness. And we call the saint because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. So it says here, the job of the pastor or shepherd and teachers are to equip the saints. For what? For the work of ministry. And that word equip means like training or, or, or to give discipline to. In the original Greek, that word equip, it was sometimes used in medical terms of like a broken bone putting back in the right way, straightened out. The pastor teachers are to equip in the sense of like putting in the right direction, like moving people on, hey, we're beat about this over here, about this ministry, about these uh, priorities. Equip the saints for what it says for ministry, for, for service, for different tasks. Commentator says this, it is thus implied that every Christian has a work of ministry, a spiritual task and function in the body. Right? It all flows together to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. It's for the building up of the body. The goal of discipleship, we're going to see here, I hope very clearly, is to continue to increasingly become like Christ and help others to do so as well. Right? It doesn't say just for the building up of yourself in Christ, but the building up of the body. That's what we are to be equipped to do. And, and just, uh, of course, uh, I think a big aspect, though, of it, like, it happens within the church. That's what we're talking about, about our own local church, how we seek to do that. But we're, we're gathered here for a couple hours, say, on a Sunday morning, say, small group ministry. Like, in terms of your life, there's so much time spent away from being gathered together. And so, of course, you're equipped for ministry that happens all over the place, for sure, as a father to his wife, parents to their children, wherever, wherever you work, what, how, what kind of ministry do you have? You're called, you're called to be a disciple everywhere you go. And so what does that look like? You're also equipped for that type of ministry as well. But the end goal is the building up of the body of Christ, the church. And so just kind of maybe pause here for a second and just think, how do we seek to do this at our church? I really want to be faithful to the text, and we're going to be pulling that out. So it's almost stopping here and just thinking, though, specifically, how, do we, how are we seeking to make disciples at our church? I've said before, we want to do it with intentionality. We want to do it in community. So just thinking through a few points, like even on a Sunday morning, as we gather together, even the songs that we pick, the order that it goes in, there's intentionality to that. Even the, the sermons that we're preaching, uh, preaching are distinctives because we've existed for two and a half years and more people have come in and we want to say, like, this is who we are as a church. God willing, here in the, later in the fall, we're going to go through the, the gospel of Luke. We're going to start that journey. Intentional on in the things that we are preaching through. We're, we're in, intentional even just having people who have different gifts and abilities give them opportunity I, I love what I've heard so far about Mark Nielsen's class. Uh, I'm so excited to see all the people sign up there. And I've heard that Mark, he has a gift of teaching. And so he's, he's being equipped to use his gift in our church to equip other people. And I, I pray it's a blessing. I hope one day I can just sit in the back and, and take it in. And even just stopping there for a second, think about how discipleship happens. It doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. It happens in so many contexts. Just think of this for a moment. Discipleship happens in, in many, few, two, and one. I stole this from someone. I did not make it up. I don't know who said it. Or I'd give them the, I'd quote them. So think about many. When our big gatherings on a Sunday morning, discipleship's happening with one another. The conferences, bigger gatherings. The, the, the many, the few, like small group ministry. We are seeking to make disciples in those areas. Youth gathering together. Uh, young adults getting together. 
Many few, too, that would be like a much smaller number, for sure within families, maybe a coffee, getting together with someone, one-on-one time, discipleship happens there, many few, too, and then one, one that's you and the Lord. And I think if all those areas are happening of discipleship, you will grow. You will grow in the Lord. And so we, we seek to have opportunity uh, to, to give people spaces and places to do that. Even within our small groups, the intentionality of like as we get together and we have our leaders in time where we're asking and praying, hey, hey, who in your group could you train up to be a future leader? So that they could sometimes be given opportunity as leadership so then in the future when we need more small groups, which we're, we're, almost, we're on the cusp Again, uh, that we have people, leaders already established to go and start other groups. We want to be intentional about that. Even as if you would come to our, our prayer meetings, uh, to, to not only to pray, but to learn to pray. That you would be discipled in it, you'd be equipped to like, okay, I'm hearing the requests that they're bringing before the Lord. Next time I'm going through a quick trial, I'm like, yes, I'm gonna be, I want to be quicker to pray, uh, quicker to seek the Lord. Even uh, opportunities here to preach, both now and in the future, I want to try to give people an opportunity, maybe who are just starting in preaching. Be given, uh, Dave Meisner is growing his ability to preach, having that opportunity. Other people uh, wanting to take them and give them training and give them opportunity and help them be built up. So that God willing, in the future, there'll be many more voices to proclaim the word of God here in this church and even sending others out. Equipping, letting you know about uh, conferences, making you aware of conferences, the King and Kingdom happening there in Calgary in October, the Ladies' Conference. Again, I'll just, I'll just put another plug in. Like uh, Husbands, like encourage your wives. Make an opportunity for them to gather together. Just, there's something unique when you set aside a significant amount of time to meet with God and with God's people. Like we do that on a Sunday morning, but as you go to a conference and there's just extended time of like worship and prayer and fellowship off to the side, it's, it's always amazing what God can do in those times. You want to see disciples made through that, and then also just always letting you know about different books to read or podcasts to listen to. And, and just lastly, so again, this list, we're kind of pausing in the message. I think that one of the greatest places to make disciples is at your table. Is that your, your dinner table? Like, because think about it. If you're gathered together to eat, like every, you don't have to call everyone. They're already there. And what can you do? Well, obviously you can pray. You can pray for the meal. You can give thanks to God. And if you can just put a Bible on the table, you can just, just, read, a li- just read a little bit. Read a few verses of Scripture with those gathered there. Think about God. Give thanks to God. You can disciple people at your dinner table. Uh, I just encourage you to do that. So we're seeking to how can we equip people, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so there are many different ways to think through that. But continuing on, I want you to see the end goal. You're going to see it over and over again. In verse 13, the end goal, of course, of discipleship is maturity in Christ. Verse 13, so building, off, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So I see kind of three things listed here talking about what is maturity in Christ looks like. And again, maturity in Christ is what we're aiming towards, what we're seeking to accomplish. No one's ever going to be like, I got it. I'm there. We're all like seeking to get there until the day Christ returns or we die. Right? Like that, that's where Christian maturity is moving towards. It's never like we're finished. So this is what we're aiming towards. And again, maybe just to know we're all at different stages uh, in this walk. We're all at different stages of maturity and we've got to give grace for the person to our left, to our right, and encouragement to keep going as well. But what does it look like, spiritual maturity? Three things I see here in this verse. One is the unity of the faith. This is where we want to go to, being mature in the Lord. Paul already said in Ephesians 4, 4 4-6, 
There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is, we're praying, this is where we want to get to. Of course, we know on this side, though, before heaven, we have different uh, arguments. We have different uh, places where we disagree with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to do it with charity. But I, I pray as we grow up in the Lord, we're moving closer to greater unity. When we're actually born again by the Spirit of God, that we'd be going closer together. This is actually a prayer that Jesus made. In John 17, he prayed about many things. This is before he went to the cross. John 17, verse 20. So he's just finishing playing for the disciples. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may all be one. That's Jesus' prayer for the church. And, and in saying that, and, and talking about a unity of the faith, I don't mean this, this, this weak, okay, hey, let's just agree to disagree on like major doctrines coming together. No, I, I just mean spiritual maturity should more and more, as we see brothers and sisters in Christ maybe disagree on some minor issues, we should still be able to walk together. And maybe, but maybe, truthfully, we won't see the unity of the faith and really finally until the day we die and Christ returns. Like truthfully, that's, but we want to continue to go in that direction. Unity of the faith, the second one listed there, knowledge of the Son of God. One area we are to continue to grow in is our knowledge of Jesus Christ, our growing relationship of walking with him, the Holy Spirit forming Christ in us, and think, how do you do that? How do you grow in the knowledge of the Son of God? I think just like often be in one of the Gospels. Often be in one of the Gospels. Like just think there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four seasons. Mark is a shorter Gospel. You can read it in summer. Luke, we're going to start in November, and we will, we will not finish it. <laughs> we'll be in it for a while. But you think you could... Every season, read through another gospel. Be often, have the life of Jesus Christ, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection before you. That's how you can grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. I'm excited again as we start to look through Luke there starting in November. God willing. Knowledge of the Son of God. And then to what? It says to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Think of the fullness of Christ. These terms that are used here as in maturity, as in full development. Paul uses uh, these terms in, in 1 Corinthians 14.20. He says this, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. We are to mature in our thinking, the way we look at things. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. That's what this text is talking about, to mature manhood, to physical maturity, adulthood. It says to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is in like, uh, is it physical maturity? Is it spiritual maturity? Like, of course, this makes sense for our children. Like, we want to see our children continue to grow, continue to develop, and become adults. And we would be uh, quite remiss if, if all of a sudden, you know, you have your 30-year-old, 35-year-old, I don't know what age, sitting at the table with a sippy cup. <laughs> right? That would be very troubling. Because we know that the natural occurrence is from someone from a child to the stage of maturity. But that's true in the Christian faith. We are to go from being a child uh, to maturity. We'll talk about that more in a second, but think about what does maturity in Christ look like? I'll keep painting a picture. And just when I say maturity in Christ, also just note that Christ is the one we are focused on, the one that we want to grow into. I love that. It's not the person to our left or to our right that we're comparing with. It's our eyes fixed on Christ. Lord, make me more like Jesus Christ. 
And as he does, what could that look like? I think one is, is, is lordship obedience. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, teaching them everything that I have commanded. Jesus says elsewhere, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Right? So growing in spiritual maturity is this greater clarity of whatever is shown in my life to be opposed to God, I move away from. And whatever God is pleasing to God, I want to walk towards. I'm saying, Jesus is Lord of my life. He's in control of the decisions I make, and so I want to continue to have my life fall in line with Jesus Christ, with his commands. So lordship, obedience, we want to be equipped for the work. Ephesians 4.12, we want to have theological stability. We're going to talk about here in a moment in the next text. But it, so again, we want to move to spiritual maturity, but then Paul, even in creating this argument, he goes back to verse 14, and looks at what does it look like to be an immature children, immature child, sorry, in the faith. So verse 14, of course, as we grow into uh, a disciple, we want to no longer be immature children. Look at verse 14 with me. So the end of verse 13, we want to grow into the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We, know, we may no longer be children. We don't want to be children. But of course, everyone who starts in the faith is a child. As Jesus says in, in John 3, you must be born again. Not born again physically. You must be born again spiritually. When you're born again spiritually, you are like a little baby. Peter uses this language in 1 Peter 2, Two to three, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like, that's fine. If someone's a new believer, like, oh, for sure, we're just going to feed you uh, just big picture concepts of who God is, of who Jesus is, and, and what's going on, right? And, th and that's how you come to Christ. You are a spiritual infant. But the reality is you, you're not to stay there. You're not to stay there. But we see even in the New Testament, there are, there are many believers in churches who weren't growing as they should. So it's like not uh, just f because of, we're in North America that this has happened. This has always been happening. That okay, You're born new by the Spirit of God. You are to grow up, but not everyone grows as they should. We see this, a strong rebuke happen actually in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 3.1 and Hebrews 5. 11 to 14, and he basically rebukes these believers. He's like, hey, I want to give you meat. I want to give you deeper truths of the scripture. I want to build you up, but you're not ready. i got to go back to milk. You're, you're staying a child. You're supposed to be growing as an adult, but you're staying a child. Again, because it doesn't just happen naturally. And think, what are the characteristics of spiritual immaturity listed here in verse 14? Paul says this, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, deceitful schemes, like a picture of, of someone, uh, I remember this past winter, got some time to spend in the ocean, and I was having fun, bouncing around the waves, big waves came in and just turned me over and made me eat sand and threw me about, and that's what the picture is. It's like someone who's just getting tossed around left, right, and center. The wind is like a gale force wind. Like you go this way, you're blown over this way, you're blown back that way. Deceitfulness of man, trickery of men, human cunning. And it's false teaching, like blows you over this way, and then you're like, oh, it's not that, and running over this way. Just again, what can examples we can think of? Like anyone who, who like, hey, faith in Christ will make you healthy and wealthy. And you, you run over that way. No, 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 that's not it. And then, then someone's like, hey, I have this, I have a hidden knowledge. No one's ever heard about before, but if you come to me, you can grow in holiness really fast, just in a moment. But no one's known about before. Blown over that way. Or, or any type of gospel where it's like Jesus Christ plus. Plus you have to keep a day. Plus it's your diet, what you eat. Plus you have to confess your sins to a priest, whatever that is. Jesus Christ plus, and the person's blown. 
We can't be blown back and forth so quick. Like a spiritually immature child, and just think of the day and age in which we live in. There's too many examples to go through. You think of the, our woke culture, all the different ideologies that exist. Is there time to speak of systematic racism and toxic masculinity? Or even the day that was celebrated yesterday of truth and reconciliation. Our culture using biblical terms and redefining what they mean. We can't be like, oh, is, is, this, a, is this a Christian response? We need to go there? No, we're all about truth. We are all about truth. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we can, everyone, be reconciled to our Creator, God, through Jesus Christ. We are, we're all about truth and reconciliation, but we can't take the words and phrases of our culture and run after them and like, okay, is this the burden of a Christian? No, the burden of the Christian is the truth and reconciliation between God the Creator and us the created. Friends, there's so many warnings within Scripture. Hebrews 13, 9, do not be led away by strange teachings. 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4, we looked at uh, a few weeks ago. The time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but they'll gather around themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And friends, that time is now. So we cannot be children who are just getting blown back and forth, pulling this way and pulling that way. And how is that to happen? Again, we are to mature in our faith. We are to grow up in the Lord, continuing on, looking at verses 15 to 16. We are to be no longer children. How are we to do that? Verse 15. Rather, like rather than that, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Rather speaking the truth in love. I love it. We are to speak it. Uh, Ephesians 4.29, just later on, Paul says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We are to speak with grace. We have to speak it. We have to verbalize it. But what is it? We have to speak truth. We have to speak truth. And primarily, that's talking about the Word of God. We have to speak the Word of God. I just want to bring your attention. Psalm 8, 18, verse 30 Psalm 19, 7 to 8, looking at the word of God. Psalm 18, verse 30, it says this, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And thinking of the word, the truth, Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, speaks of the word of God, of the truth. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of, of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's the truth of God's word. So we are to speak truth to one another. And how are we to do that there in Ephesians? Speak the truth in love. And so doesn't that mean there are other ways that we can speak this? You can speak the truth like demeaning and, and beat people up with it, condescending, with, with very little grace. No, you speak the truth in love. And what is this love that it's calling us to? Paul uses this term often in this letter, Ephesians 3, 17. He says that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, you being rooted and grounded in love. It's God's love. Ephesians 5.2, he says, walk in love, and defining love as this, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's, that's the love. I love. That's the picture of the love that we are called to, the self-sacrificing love of Jesus Christ. We are to speak the truth with that type of love. And again, where do we do this? Again, remember the context I painted? I painted many, few, two, and one. We are to speak the truth in love here as we're gathered together. 
We speak the truth in love as we gather in our small groups. We speak the truth in love as we grab a coffee with a brother or a sister. We sit around the table with our family. And the primary place, though, is that we are to have the, the word of God spoken to us as we open up the word before the Lord. I say, God, speak to me. Because think about it, it says, speak the truth in love. So it's like assuming that you have the word to speak. And you don't have the word to speak unless you are in this word, opening and reading and studying and praying, Lord, teach me from it. God, God help us. I, I, oh, I just pray. Friends, we, we are to grow up in the Lord and, and everything we have has been given to us for godliness. Through Christ Jesus, we're going to talk about that. And I'm just questioning, I'm like, Lord, why in my own life do I don't grow more? We've been getting everything that we need. Lord, do it, do it in me, I pray. So we are to speak the truth in love, and we are to grow up. So it says here, we are to grow up in every way. Into him who is the head, into Christ. We are to grow up in every way. I love it. it says grow up in every way. So it's never an excuse that we can say, I was born this way. That's just the way I am. As a Christian, we, we don't have that excuse. We can't, oh, this is the way my parents were. No, no, Jesus Christ can transform every situation, every life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to grow up. So spiritual maturity is the norm for all of us. It's what's called for. By God's grace, we are to break habits of sin. And, and friends, I'll, I'll just say this too. When I was a younger believer, I struggled with looking things I should not on the internet. And, and so what did, I, what did I do? I'm like, man, I cried out to the Lord. I prayed. I confessed. I was broken. I still stumbled through it. I got together with other brothers and like, hey, can you pray for me? Can you help me? I talked with pastors. I did everything. I kept praying. I kept praying. By God's good grace, by the Holy Spirit, I was able to finally turn my eyes. I'm still praying, Lord, renew my mind. Renew my mind and change me. I'm just sharing that. There's, there's habitual patterns of sin that we can be stuck in, and we're like, man, can it ever be broken? Yes, God can break it. But you're not to do it yourself. You need community. That we can fight sin together. We can encourage one another. We can build each other up, right? When, so when we stumble and fall, a brother or a sister's there, let's get back up, let's keep going. That spiritual maturity is also having people surround you who will help you, who will be with you. Spiritual immaturity is like, I can do this on my own. I got this covered. And the longer you are a Christian, the more you're like, no, no, I need other people around me. I need help. We want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We want to grow up in that. And I think a big part of growing up in our faith is forgiveness. I, I, I just, I've met some people who are like many years in the Lord, but there's a, there's a bitterness growing in their hearts and their lives because of unforgiveness. Fr friends, unforgiveness, it will destroy us. We can be like, you're, like you're saved, but it's like God but God's, it can't really do a work because you're like holding on to something against someone. And I think growing into spiritual maturity is like, okay, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm going to forgive that person. Even though it's maybe wrong what they've done. Even like leaving justice in God's hands. I think forgiveness is a big aspect of growing into spiritual maturity. And again, as we, as we looked at or as we saw the, the picture of a child blowing this way and that, spiritual maturity is theological stability. As if someone's like, hey, did you hear about the latest teaching? You're like, I don't really care. I have the Bible. Someone's like, hey, did you hear about this, this latest prediction, the latest thing going to happen? You're like, yeah, yeah. What chapter and verse did you find it in? We want to grow in our knowledge of the Son of God, grow in our knowledge of the truth, so then we're not blown to the left and to the right. It's, it's neat what the Lord can do. I just, I ran into this young man in, uh, in Calgary last week, and my wife and I were at this conference uh, just briefly, and I met him 
we were at a small group with him like four years ago in Cochrane. And uh, I'm like, hey, how's it going? How's life going? And he was just like full of joy. And now they're leading a small group. They have a young family. They're leading a small group. They're, uh, he's doing some like premarital counseling with people at the church in Redemption Calgary North. But he just had this like bubbling joy. And I'm like, like what's happening? He's just like, you know, I, I just, I'm trying to live my life like God's priorities. And it, and it works out. It's full of joy. I, I just, I saw, I haven't seen him for like four years. He's growing up. He's growing up in the Lord. And just, just think about this, friends. When we, when we have children, and we'll look back, or other people will look, and they'll say, oh, that looks like the mom, that looks like the dad, right? We've all went through that. As Christians, spiritual maturity is more and more someone standing back like, that looks, it looks like Jesus. Not like our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, right? More and more we see less and less of like that sinful, that broken nature, that ugliness. And spiritual maturity is more and more like, ah, they're looking like Jesus. Only God can do it. But he, he wants to do it and he, and he can do it. That's purposeful discipleship leading to Christian maturity. I want you to see this in verse 16 where it talks about Ends verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Kind of like a, a mix of words there, but basically everything's flowing from Christ, Christ the head. And every joint, if you would picture a body, everything is working with the energy, with the life flowing through Christ. That's where it, it's all coming from. I love it says this though too. It says when each part is working properly. When each part is working properly, which means each part of the body of Christ is important. You can never think, you're like, oh no, I, I don't want to go get together today. Maybe I don't want to. You never know how God wants to use you in someone else's life. So growing, in, again, I think, again, in spiritual maturity is just seeing it's not about just me and the Lord. It's like me and the Lord and God's people and have a responsibility. When each part's working properly, each part is important. We are to grow up. And maybe you're going to see, you're like, man, this is redundant, but I want you to see Paul repeats it again. He just keeps pointing back to Christ. He's pointing back to Christ. Jesus Christ, he's the source of our discipleship and our, our purpose so we want to grow up in Christ. It's used in, in verse 12, right? We are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the church. In verse 15, we are to grow into mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to grow up in Christ, in the church, in his body. We are to grow up through Christ. That means abiding in Christ. We are the the branches, and he is the vine. Think about this, though. Everything we have spiritually is through our dependence on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. John 1, 16. John writes of Jesus Christ that came from Jesus' grace upon grace has been given to us. Grace upon grace. I love that. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ to live a life that's pleasing to God. And when it says grace upon grace, and as we talk about spiritual maturity, friends, this is one that we, as we walk to, we stumble and fall. And, and maybe sometimes people are wandering, and in God's grace, we want to pull those people, hey, let's keep going. We have grace upon grace. Grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor from God. Grace upon grace through Jesus Christ to be a disciple. We have everything we need through him. So it's in Christ, it's through Christ. And I want you to see, friends, in finishing, it's for Christ, for God's glory. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays this, this great prayer. And in chapter 4, he starts to talk about how it is answered. Discipleship is, is, is part of that. I just want to read this prayer in finishing. I, I love it. I love that this is in Scripture. Like, is this true? Can this be true? In our lives, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. 
Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. We can pray that. We can pray that to God. And then he says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's, that's a prayer. You're like, God can answer that prayer. We can pray that prayer for each other, for our church, for other people. And friends, as we would seek to make disciples in our church, building up the body, growing to be more like Jesus, God is glorified, he's honored, he receives the praise he deserves. Just think about that as he takes broken sinners. Like we all, we, everyone has a story. Everyone has a story where he takes broken sinners and builds them up and makes them look more like Jesus Christ. And people see a change in you, see a change in me, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's all God. He gets the praise, and he gets the honor that he deserves. And so even purposeful discipleship, it's about us being formed into Jesus Christ, but so that God would get the praise and honor that he deserves. If you'll bow with me, I'll close this word in prayer. Oh, Holy Father, what a prayer. What a calling. Oh, God, it seems too big. It seems too large. For sure it is on our own. But I pray, Holy Spirit, form Christ in us. Keep chipping away at us, Lord. Take out our love of the world. Give us an increasing love for Jesus Christ. God, build your church. I pray you would help us to make disciples in our church. Give us wisdom. But, oh, Lord, grow us, each of us, into maturity. Help us to do that in each other's lives. By your grace, help us to grow in the ability to speak the truth in love. And, Lord, I pray you'd seal this word in our hearts. That which is from me may fall to the side. That which is from you, Holy Spirit, take to accomplish your will, O God. In Jesus' name, amen.